it is an enormous privilege for Chelsea and I to be with you guys. Um, yeah, it is a little crazy. Our uh, containers are getting picked up tomorrow, and we haven't finished packing it. But, <laughs> but yeah, so I'll kind of give just a little bit of an update about us. Um, like I said, we're moving in two weeks to Wisconsin, and the little logo there in the top right, uh, the Ethnos 360 Bible Institute, is where we're moving. That's what's in Wisconsin. And so what we'll be doing is we'll be training missionaries to work with unreached people groups. So what our organization does is they send church planners to unreached people groups. Now there's still millions, if some people would say billions of people who still fall under the category of unreached. And really what that means is they have no access to the Bible, no access to the story of the Bible, and especially no access to the good news of Jesus. And the thing is, is, you know, the world is getting smaller and much more complicated. So those people who still are unreached, they're in very complex situations. Sometimes it's just because they speak really difficult languages. Sometimes it's because they live in jungles that are really hard to reach. Or sometimes it's because they live in cities and little communities that you don't even know are there, but they all speak the same language, but they're still interacting with the greater culture. And so an enormous amount of training and equipping is required for missionaries to be even able to reach the remaining unreached. And so that's why Chelsea and I are so excited to be a part of training missionaries. And this is kind of the first step in the training. People come to the, the Ethnos 360 Bible Institute for a two-year Bible education. And it's very often there that young people decide to become missionaries. And so Chelsea and I are very excited about mobilizing some of those young people to become missionaries. We hear about the needs all the time. There's so many people who don't have access. There's a lot of work to do, and we're just so excited to be a, big, a part of the big picture. Uh, and so that's what we'll be up to. Now, you'll probably notice that our little guy Roman isn't running around. Because we're moving in two weeks, uh, you know, his grandparents are pretty sad and so they were fighting for time with him and so my mom has him this morning we were sad not to bring him but uh, he's home this morning but um, so I'm gonna move into just uh, you know as missionaries people ask us all the time how did you figure out what your calling is right and you know Chelsea and I have thought a lot about that question and it's an important question I think we should all ask ourselves. And so this morning I want to give you a little bit of an answer. But first I want you to start by just simply asking yourself, what is your calling? I want you to ask yourself this right now. And I want you to think about how you would answer that question. If I were have to have coffee with you sitting across from you one-on-one, -on -one, how would you answer this if I asked, what is your calling? You know, a lot has happened in the last couple years in our lives to make Chelsea and I start seriously asking ourselves this question again, right? The most recent thing that happened, maybe the most recent, is back in January, I celebrated my 30th birthday in January. I don't know what it is about turning 30 that just makes you start seriously evaluating where you are in life. Actually, on the day I turned 30, I had lunch with Ryan 
and another pastor, Pastor Phil Beatty, who I believe many of you have known, he's preached here recently, I think. Um, and Ryan and Phil, I don't know if you know this, but both of them are older than me. I'm sorry, Ryan, I'm letting that little secret out. It's hard to tell with you, man. You still look like you're 30. But, um, and they could tell I was struggling, so they gave me some wisdom, right? And it's funny, a couple days before I turned 30, Chelsea could tell I was feeling some feelings. And we're sitting, you know, on the couch, and she's like, Evan, I could tell you're really, like, struggling with turning 30. I said, yeah, I don't even know how to explain it. And she said, you know, I just saw a video of someone else talking about turning 30. She's like, I, I feel like you would appreciate what she had to say. And so she showed me a video of someone named Emma Watson. I don't know if you've ever heard of Emma Watson. She's an actress. She turned 30 back in 2020. And here's what she said. I'll read it for you. She said, when I turned 13, I always wondered why everyone made such a big fuss about turning 30. It's not a big deal, right? But cut to 29 and I'm like, oh my goodness, I feel so stressed and anxious. And I realize it's because there's suddenly this influx of subliminal messaging around if you have not built a home, if you don't have a husband, if you don't have a baby and you're turning 30 and you're not in some incredibly secure, stable place in your career, or you're still figuring things out, there's just this incredible amount of anxiety. And I think she's right. Leading up to my 30th birthday, I started feeling this pressure that I had to have my life figured out. Because our culture feeds us this idea that by the time you're 30, 40, 50, at some point you have to have it figured out. Right? But I, want, I wonder, what does that even mean? What does it even mean to have our lives figured out? And so here's what I think our culture would say. I think our culture would say, you have your life figured out when you reach a point in your life where you're content. Right? When you're content with what you're doing and with where you are. Then I think in our culture we'd say, you have your life figured out. And in the church, I think we'd say a very similar doing, right? I'm thinking of people like single moms or someone who needs their family to care for them, someone who needs help getting around or perhaps just unable to work at all, right? Perhaps you're in that situation and you're discontent. Well, what I'm going to say this morning is the good news about our calling is that our calling is not about what we get to go and do. And there's something every single one of us can change. The first thing we're going to change this morning is our perspective. And what I love about Jesus is that he usually flips things upside down. So you probably saw where this is going. Houseplant. No. Of course you haven't. But why do we always get this backwards then? We are always trying to produce good things from the wrong place. What we do flows out of who we are and not the other way around. What kind of fruit we grow depends on what kind of tree we are. And if we go through our lives only thinking about what we're supposed to do instead of thinking about who we're supposed to be, then we're going to find ourselves discontent because we're going to be trying to grow fruit that we're just incapable of growing. 
Our first calling is to be. And now, you know, I was thinking about this, and, you know, I noticed when Jesus began his ministry, his adult ministry, right, one of the first things that happens is he goes to John the Baptist, and he's baptized, right? And when Jesus is baptized by John, he gets, you know, dunked on the water, he comes out, a dove comes, the Holy Spirit descends on him. And the voice of God, to kind of initiate Jesus' ministry, the voice of God says what? He says, Jesus, now go and do what I told you to do. <laughs> That's not what God said. God says this. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. <laughs> to begin Jesus' ministry, God calls Jesus to be who he is. God's calling for Jesus isn't a command, it's a statement about his identity. And do you see how this is far greater than if God told him to go and do something? Jesus is the Son of God. God in the flesh. What do you think he's going to do? <laughs> he's going to live out of his identity. He's going to go and do exactly what God would go and do because that's who he is. So look again at this calling pyramid. When we focus on who we are called to be, the rest just falls into place. But when we get it upside down, it's very unsteady. It's going to tumble. And we're going to be left discontent, unsatisfied, and wondering why. It's because God calls you to be and then live out of your identity. The same way he called Jesus to at the beginning of his ministry. All right. God calls us to be, that naturally begs the question, who does God call us to be, right? And so we're going to transition. This is how I'm going to finish my time with you this morning. I'm going to give you an answer to this question. Who does God call us to be? I'm going to give you one answer, and I, there's no way I'm going to cover the whole topic. Books upon books, sermons upon sermons have been written. This is a foundational thing for us as believers to understand. Who we are in Christ, our identity, it's so important. But I don't want to just leave you out to dry here. I want to give you at least one answer to this question. And the answer I want to give you, I think, is a helpful one, a foundational one. And I think it's this. I think we are called to be students of Jesus. Students of Jesus. Now, when Jesus first called his disciples, he invited them to follow him, right? That's the first thing he did. What did it mean to follow him? Jesus was a rabbi or a teacher. And those who followed him did so in order to learn from him, to shape their lives around him. And I know... You know, the Bible uses the words disciples, followers. But the reason I don't want to use those words is because we hear those words so often in church that they kind of just go in one ear right out the other. Right? But when I say students of Jesus, I don't hear many people talk like that. 
But I, I, I want to use the word student, and I'm also going to kind of use the word apprentice as well, because I think that's helpful, a helpful illustration. But we are called to be students of Jesus, apprentices of Jesus. And I, I believe the reason we are discontent, even as Christians, is because we often aren't students of Jesus. We don't think of ourselves as students of Jesus, and therefore we do not become students of Jesus. And I love this illustration too, because here's the thing. When you're studying under someone, or when you're apprenticing under someone, you know it, right? You don't just accidentally become an apprentice to a plumber, right? That doesn't happen by accident. And it's also something you're aware of is happening while it's happening. Right? Like if you were apprenticing to be a plumber, you're going to be working with toilets and nasty stuff all the time. You know what I mean? You're, you would know it. And so my question is, is, are you apprenticing under Jesus? Are you studying under Jesus? Are you actively placing yourself under him as a student would a teacher. And this is the challenge I want to end with you, to give you as, as we end this morning. Because here's the thing, I believe, I know many of us in here believe in Jesus. And we call ourselves Christians, and I would too, right? But I often wonder how many of us are his students. Because I believe there's a difference. Right, for instance, I can believe my math teacher knows what he's doing, and he does this complicated formula on the chalkboard, right? I can believe he's correct without actually learning how to do it myself, right? And I think the same is true of Jesus. He invites us all into his kingdom to believe in him, right? And then that the belief is and trust in him is open to everybody. And like I said, many of us in here have taken him up on that. And we've found eternal life, forgiveness for sins in him because of that. But I think a lot of us haven't taken the next step and become his students. And I don't know how we've gotten to this place in the church where that's even possible. right? But I know it is, and I know it's happening because I see it. I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it in others. So my challenge for you is not just to be a believer in Jesus, but to shape your life around him as well. There's this great Dallas Willard quote. He says, if I had to choose, I would rather have a car that runs than good insurance on one that doesn't. Can I not have both? Can we not both believe in Jesus for salvation and allow him to shape our lives at the same time? Because this is where I believe our true contentment lies. This is where true satisfaction lies. And so the final thing I want to show you guys is this great story. I think I, yeah, sorry, I got to fly through here a little bit. There's this great story on the Jesus' final night, the Last Supper. The final night with his students. You know, he's trying to encourage them. He knows he's about to be arrested, and he knows what's going to happen. And it's pretty clear his students haven't fully figured out yet what's going on. Right? So Jesus is trying to encourage them. 
And so we're going to pick up in John chapter 14 here, and we've all heard this verse before, but I don't know if we actually put it in context. Honestly, when I think of this verse, I very often don't think of it in this context. But this is really interesting. So Jesus is talking to them. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip says, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Now, I'm not going to, I will tell you what happens next. But I don't know if you're picking up on what's happening. Jesus is telling his disciples, as straightforward as he can, I think, that if they want to see God, they already have in him. And Philip's response shows that he does not understand what Jesus just said. Philip basically says, Jesus, come on, just show us God already and then we'll be satisfied. Then we'll be content. To which Jesus replies, Philip, I've been with you for how long and you still don't know me? If you've seen me, you've seen God. Do you not believe? Jesus was standing right in front of Philip. And yet he still wasn't satisfied. He even says, just show us God and then we'll be satisfied. He's not satisfied until. But he didn't realize that God was standing right in front of him. And you know, the thing is, is I believe in a lot of ways, Jesus is standing right before us as well. And then I wonder, why are so many of us discontent? Why do I find myself so discontent so often? Because Jesus stands before us telling us that he is the way, the truth, and the life, telling us that when we see him, we see God. What more do we need? And I know many of us believe this, right? But we're still discontent. And I think it's because we haven't become his students. And what I love also about this story about Philip is it truly shows the need why we need to become students. Right? Because we don't naturally get it. Right? Philip, after spending, you know, well, many people would say three years with Jesus, following around, hearing everything he said, Philip still didn't get it. Right? That's the nature of being a student means you don't have it all figured out yet. It's part of being a student. And you know, the other best thing about being a student of Jesus is right when you sign up for it, he gives you the best student teacher ever. He even calls it the helper. If you read on in John chapter 14, he talks about after I go, guys, the helper's going to come. The spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit. Right? And he knows we need it. He knows we need that student teacher. And the student teacher is so good is because we get to take him wherever we go, forever and always. But the thing is, and here's, here's what I want to truly, I know I keep saying I'm going to end, but here's what I truly want to end with. It won't just happen. If we want to become a student of the master teacher, we have to decide to be one. And that's all you need to do. 
And that's what's so great about the message and the good news of Jesus. Anybody can decide to become his student. So my, my conclusion here this morning, what is your calling? I hope your perspective has changed. Right? I hope you think about it the opposite of the way we normally think about it in our culture. Now, and here's the thing. I know there's this second level there. Right? I talked a lot about the first level, be, who we call, what is our calling? It's to be. But that second level, I feel like, kind of speaks for itself in a lot of ways, although I'm sure we could preach a lot of sermons on that second level, right? Because there's a lot that goes into it. But when we become students of Jesus, when we start shaping our lives around him, love is naturally going to flow out. And it's going to be the kind of love that Jesus shows. It's going to be sacrificial love. But when we decide to become students of him and following him around, we're going to just start loving people like he did. It's naturally going to happen. And so when I, when someone asks you from here on out, what is your calling? My, the simple answer I just want you to remember is be love. My calling is to be love. I don't really have too much more to say. I could talk a lot about this because I, it's something I've learned recently and I'm still learning and it's very exciting when the Lord and the Holy Spirit are teaching new things. And so thank you so much for allowing us to be here and to share this with you. And so my challenge for you guys going into this summer and everything, be love. The same way Jesus was. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity to get to worship with St. Paul's in these, this beautiful church. And God, I just thank you so much that the message of your good news is that it's an open invitation for all of us. You invite all of us to participate in what you're doing in this world. And I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful that you want us to participate. And God, I just, I thank you for each person here. I pray that you would be working in their lives through your Holy Spirit, through the student teacher, that you would help each one of us become your students, study under you, shape our lives around you, God. We need your help. We don't naturally want to do that on our own very often. So would you help us? so that we can love those in our lives, those in our community, the way you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't mean to interrupt the flow here, but I would be just, yeah. I just wanted to say a thank you on behalf of our family to the whole St. Paul's community um, for walking with us in this journey of learning these truths ourselves. Um, I don't think we could have stood up here and have preached that sermon without God washing those truths over us um, as you've walked with us these years. So thank you. 
um, for all your love and support these years and then also launching us out as we go. So I love you all so much. Um, thank you for everything. Thank you, Chelsea. How about um, before you guys come down, I'll, I want to say a prayer for you. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for uh, the work that you've been doing in Evan and Chelsea's lives, um, for carrying them through some really challenging circumstances and changes in plans and um, bringing them to this place of having to think about who, who am I really? What is my true calling? And Lord, I just pray that you'd help them to embrace more and more um, finding their security and their hope and knowing that they're loved by you and that is their primary identity where, wherever they go and whatever they do. And Lord, we do pray that as they go and do something new um, in the coming months, Lord, uh, that you would bless them in that, uh, that their desire to serve you and to help unreached people come to know you um, that you would honor that desire and that you would just multiply their efforts, Lord, that everything they do at this school um, would go very far in helping people who don't know you come to know you. Um, we just ask for your blessing on them, Lord, as they pack today. Uh, give them strength and uh, give them a safe trip uh, to the school. In Jesus' name, amen.